0: Hi everybody, Christopher Bill here, the internet's busiest trombonist. Um, I just had a great interview with Tim Albright. He is the trombone professor at Lawrence University, and before that he was my trombone professor at SUNY Purchase, Uh, but he will be one of the featured trombonists this summer at the International Trombone Festival in Muncie, Indiana at Ball State University July 10th through the 13th. Make sure you have your calendars marked for that, and you're looking into accommodations, hotels, flights, whatever you need to do to get there, those are filling up fast. Uh, and you don't want to miss it. So look into all of that. But yeah, we had a really great interview. I learned all sorts of stuff. I did not know about him, even though he was my teacher. He talked about stories of uh, playing on Broadway, playing Carnegie Hall with Jay-Z, playing on a Grammy-winning album. All sorts of really cool stuff I think you're really going to enjoy. Um, If you want to hear this in podcast form, you could do that as well at SeableasyKnows. Just uh, search your favorite podcast listening app for that, and you'll find it. Uh, or just continue watching this video and you'll see it here. Um, I think you really are going to enjoy this. Um, And here it is, my interview with Tim Albright. I'm here with my former teacher and uh, inspiration, Tim Albright. Yeah, Chris, you're an
1: inspiration to me too, my man. Tell me
0: why you play trombone.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness, wow. Yeah, so you were going to say that you were going to ask questions that you didn't know about me in the past. Uh, So I started my musical career uh, as a pianist at the age of five. I wouldn't call that a career, but uh, (laughs) I started piano lessons when I was five. My brother played the trumpet. He's uh, seven years older than me, and he taught me how to play uh, coronet. We got a coronet for about like 20 bucks from a garage sale, and he taught me how to play that when I was eight and uh, I was like I was okay so I thought okay I'm gonna do I'm gonna do trumpet And if that doesn't work I really like the drums that like banging on things and uh, our band director was a family friend also a trombone player and um, it's like no no we need we need trombones in the band you're you're gonna do that
0: instead what were you listening to at the time like what's a what's a album or a song or record that that you like wore out at that time
1: yeah, um, so this, this band director, a family friend of ours, uh, kept he gave me all these like mixtapes of, of trombone players. So I still remember, it's funny, I can't remember the album title because it, it was on a, um, a mixtape, but it was um, a Jack Teagarden record that had Stars Fell in Alabama and it had Lover. Um, you know, these, these old, great tunes, and he was just crushing it on the trombone. And I had never heard somebody do that before. And so, yeah, so that was the one that I had on my cassette player next to my bed and would like fall asleep to listening to at night. That was that was the biggest one. Uh, and then, I, you know, then I found J.J. Uh, Johnson, singing thing, you know, like
0: wore those out uh, as, as well. That was what, like middle school, high school, you were listening to those? yeah yeah even like elementary school actually
1: really that's yeah amazing. he started he started me on that stuff early that was like kind of the first music i listened to
0: wow that's awesome when did you know you were gonna pursue trombone professionally
1: man i i, I guess you know um er, early high school i kind of knew even though i loved math and science and my parents were not musicians and were a little bit worried about how i was going to make a living as a musician i guess i kind of had that in the back of my mind like maybe i should be sensible and do you know biology or or chemistry or something um but it didn't take me long to to realize like no i'm just i'm kind of fooling myself here like i i can't live without music i remember i had teachers that said that and said okay you you know you can go into music if you if you if you know you can't live without doing anything else that like, you know people talk to us about that all the time and i suppose i say that i pass that on to to um to students now like you know it's it can be a tough life as you know and uh so you have to really really want it and and i and i i knew that i really did i don't know if many people know this i tell some of my students that the the day before what is it may one that you have to make your decisions for college that day I stayed home from high school because I couldn't decide between Indiana University and uh, and Eastman Indiana would have had that kind of maybe like broader base you know on campus but obviously it has the conservatory as well but uh, ultimately I, I you know, chose chose Eastman, which also has the University of Rochester. I actually never took a class at the <laughs> University of Rochester uh, at the River. But you campus. I could have I could have yeah but uh, but I did not
0: what drew you to Indiana University
1: uh you know what it was actually my sister who went to UCLA big uh oh. you know a big research school in California and um, she loved like the college experience and you like that the big like you know your sports teams and all of this stuff and and, uh, and in fact a uh, teacher uh, my teacher at the time uh, Doug Bates um, who had gone to indiana and and kind of like hey you might you might check this out and he also gave me um, uh my first one of my first cds you know, like cds were were pretty new when i was in high school and i got joe alessi's slide area cd and we actually had like a we, we it feels ostentatious to say that we had a cd player in our car because that was like a really big deal but we yeah. had a cd player that had a, a car that had a cd player and i put that that CD on, uh, on the ride home. It took about 45 minutes to drive home from Santa Rosa. And, uh, you know, just the way I was floored when I heard Jack Teagarden, I was like, holy cow, like this is like another level or like you could play the trombone like that. And that was a big influence flows too.
0: Uh, do you remember a specific track that blew your mind on that?
1: Uh, man, tons. I mean, I still remember like Grandal Concerto is huge. He played the Swan, this like beautiful version of Camille Sessas' Swan. satsi um oboes uh, sonata i think originally written for oboe and continuo um and it's funny like so i was this this kid i mean i had great i had this great band director teacher but i did a lot of like self teaching to myself too and um so i transcribed all the jj johnson and the jack teagarden records and i got this joe alessi record it's like i might as well Transcribe this too so i transcribed the vasazzi concerto like i kind of learned that um, and and the doll and some of these things it's kind of like learning you know learning from from joe which
0: is pretty good yeah not bad yeah okay and then what uh how'd you hear about eastman
1: Oh, okay, so uh, I went to a summer music festival called Summer Music Monterey in Monterey, California. It had been around for a long time and at that time there were a couple of years in there when I when I went there that it was kind of loosely affiliated with Eastman, there were a lot of Eastman uh, faculty there, so um, Rob Hudson was my trombone teacher and he, um, he was a, a graduate student at Eastman and um, And that's where I met uh, my mentor Fred Sturm, who um that's some some of the people in the audience might know that name. He was uh, an amazing jazz pedagogue so he he taught in Eastman he was the head of the the jazz program there amazing amazing teacher. I um, also actually played trombone, uh, played valve trombone in this band called Matrix, which is a, um, like a, a fusion band who was like fairly famous um, you know, back in the day. Um, anyway, he's, he's from Wisconsin and um, he taught at Lawrence where I teach now for years and years. And uh, he's, he's passed away, but um, up until, uh, you know, just a few years ago, he was, he was here. So yeah, so uh, Summer Music Monterey. Was was why Eastman I, I got uh, you know got to to know some of those the faculty there and and
0: Fred kind of recruited me uh, when he met me when he met me out there. Tell me some things that come to mind when you think about those years. Oh man, I loved my
1: time at Eastman. That was uh, that was it was uh, an amazing time of of growth and you know as somebody that hadn't been exposed to. A lot of great players before. I was like a kid in a candy store. I had like all these amazing trombone players, you know. And getting to study with Doc with John Marcellus um, was amazing. He um, he was he was super cool. He. Um, Loved jazz. He was an amazing classical player. He could play like a ballad, like like nobody's business. Um, at the time, he played uh, this bench, this five forty seven bore. He had such a gorgeous sound on that. Of course, anything that he played on would be would be amazing. But I just kind of associate him with that time, with that instrument. Um, and uh, let's see, and I had, you know, the classmates like my buddy Mike Boshin and Phil Ostrander on, on Trombone and Rob Hudson and all these folks. We would get together and um, the, in the basement of the Eastman Theater, we would meet each other and just have like a, impromptu jam sessions where there would be three, four or five of us in a, you know, like like a five by ten Practice room and uh, one of the they were really good trombone piano players like Phil and Rob both played pretty good piano so they would comp for us and we would play bass bass lines for each other and um, that's where I met my my dear friend Scott Parkinson who um, he was like super inspirational player too a classical trombone trum- player mostly he studied with Milt Stevens National Symphony before he came to Eastman and. Um, he uh, he was yeah he and I were in the same class and he was he was really inspirational he he passed away at way too young of an age um, of a, of a heart condition but yeah just being surrounded by all these just amazing players in Rochester where there wasn't much to do besides practice
0: you wrote a piece was it called Reflections
1: oh right yeah yeah
0: you that, about, that that's about oh, Scott okay.
1: right I wrote that for less, well not too long after I was at Eastman probably like two thousand or something like that. Um, uh, the trombone quartet called Novus uh, asked uh, a bunch of their friends and, and people they knew um, associated with Eastman to write pieces for their debut recording. So I wrote that for them. And um, Michael Clayville uh, was a classmate of mine while he was there, um, while we were there together. And, and he asked me to, to write this piece. And I'm a, kind of a reluctant composer. Everybody asks me, like, yeah, so, you know do all this this all you play all this this music and do you ever write stuff of your own it's like not not really actually i just love playing music that's, that's put in front of me as best as i can and um but uh but yeah so they asked me to do that i thought okay i'm, I'm gonna write this trombone quartet four voices how how bad could it be and uh, i was glad that i did and and uh, he, uh scott had passed away not too long ago after they, they asked me to write it and and so i thought you know I'll write something for him and just kind of
0: came out. When did you start taking yourself seriously as a professional musician and not just as a student? Because I'd imagine that was while you were in school.
1: Yeah. Um when i was a junior at eastman uh ralph alessi great trumpet player jazz trumpet player and brother of joe um was on came on faculty for just a couple of years while i was there and uh he's an amazing uh improviser trumpet player composer musician um he was playing with steve coleman at the time steve's the alpha saxophone player um that's kind of just a genius in in what he does Steve was doing um, a big project. It was kind of like a a big band, although it had strings and and this sort of thing. Um, And he asked Ralph to bring some students from Eastman to to come be on this record. And so uh, Shane Ensley on trumpet and Nabate Isles on trumpet and myself went out there to New York to to record. Um, And funny story, um, I guess Shane and Nabate had heard from Ralph that Steve Coleman was going to call them to do this record, and we all worshipped Steve Coleman at the time because Ralph had given us a lot of his music and was teaching us uh, about his music. And um, for you know, listeners or viewers that don't know Steve's music, it's um, it's a little bit hard to describe, but jazz, funk, world, um, like really complex rhythms. Um, and we just ate it up. We loved it. Those guys knew that Steve was gonna to call to ask them to do this record. I didn't. And um, so I get this call on my on my home phone and now nobody picks up telephones, right? You see a number that you don't recognize and you be like, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna pick this up. But phone rang and I pick it up and uh, I say, hello. And he says, uh, hey, is this Tim? Yeah, this is Tim. Hey, this is Steve Coleman. And I said, hey, yeah, what's up? Thinking that it was one of my buddies. Of course you know, doing a prank call. And uh, he's like, uh, uh, yeah, this is Steve Coleman. I'm called to ask you if you could play on this record. And it took me a while to, to realize it really was him. And so I had to like put my my straight face on. I'm like, oh yes, Mr. Coleman, that, that sounds fantastic. Meanwhile, I was kind of peeing my pants because it was like such a big deal to me. So anyway, so I did that record. That was amazing. Um, and, um, and then began to tour with him a little bit. Uh, as part of this large ensemble called Steve Coleman and the Council of Balance.
0: For me, um, it's about the instrumentation, but it's also about the people who are playing, you know? So I, I try to, um, I write for people and I write for instruments, but I'm, I'm writing for personalities. And for me, an instrument, it, it has a sound, but I mean, I'm really looking at the person who's playing the instrument and, and what they can do.
1: when I started thinking, okay, I'm playing with this this guy, this internationally recognized, and I was like cool, maybe, you know, and I was thinking about going to grad school at the time too it was wild, I was thinking about um, doing like orchestral trombone grad school, mm-hmm. I was try, still trying to, to make the decision about whether it's or not to to devote all, you know my time into like taking auditions or doing like the jazz thing at the time the jazz thing kind of won
0: I know that, uh decision well of, okay, should I continue on and do grad school with something more traditional or not? Right. Um, uh, this is one of the few things I, I do know about that time of your life. Uh, San Francisco Conservatory. So my, my friend, a lot of my friends, like Scott
1: Parkinson, for example, the, the guy that I mentioned that was so influential, in, like on the classical side to me. Um, he went to Juilliard and my buddy, Mike Boshan, went to Juilliard and, and some, some of my other other friends were like going on to do like the classical trombone. Let's, let's, let's do this kind of orchestra, orchestra trajectory. And I struck up a relationship with uh, Mark Lawrence at, at San Francisco Conservatory uh, before I went to Eastman, um, because it was close to me. It was about, uh, what an hour and a half from where I lived in California. And, um, and I was a member of the, uh, the San Francisco Youth Orchestra when I was uh, a senior. It's great, uh, great experience. So I took some lessons with Mark, and he was amazing. Um, and so this seemed like the San Francisco Conservatory seemed like a good um, place to, to go. Like maybe come come back home possibly after after school, and um, and so yeah. So I almost went there, um, but. Um, I just I decided like maybe I'm just like again like I'm kind of fooling myself or uh into thinking or maybe putting off the decision of becoming like like a real like an adult. And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what it felt like. It would have been coming back home, uh, would have to California, it would have been um you know, obviously I would have learned a ton and that and I sometimes I think about that like what if what if I had done that? What if what would things have looked like but it would have been—it would have meant saying no to more uh, tours with Steve, for example, and uh, who knows what else? You know, like I guess where my life has gone. That's that was the what else, and um, so you know, just like deciding whether or not to go to Eastman or Indiana, it's like you know what, uh, or deciding to go into music or math. Um, like, yeah, I, I know in my heart this is really what I what I want, so I'm going to do it. As scary as that was, and. As a teacher now, I think that gives me some believability when I tell my students, like, you you know, this, you got to trust your heart or, you know, it's, I know, I know what they're going through because it's, it feels like the end of the world or it feels like such such a momentous decision. But, um, you know, we make those decisions and, and, but we have the things that are important to us. So if we listen to those, then you kind of can't go wrong.
0: Yeah, it certainly helped me when I was going through that decision. I had I had gotten into Cal Arts and they'd give me scholarship money and I'm going Right. I don't think I'm gonna go. And everybody right. else is saying, like, well you have to. Right. And you were like, Well, I didn't, but don't use me as the example, just use yourself as the example. Like, what do you exactly, like? yeah. Yeah, uh definitely helpful. So, um, what did you do after undergrad? I did
1: a couple of tours with, with Steve. I, I moved back home for, for a moment just to have a home base. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a cruise ship for six for six weeks in order to, to move to New York to be able to to live there and to be able to pay rent and hopefully not have a, a day job right away. My buddy, Mike Boshin was really influential. Uh, he and I, sh- kind of played similar styles of, of music. We both kind of crossed the line between the jazz and classical thing. So he gave me a lot of gigs, the things that he couldn't do for for better things that he was offered. And that was perfect for me. And it was nice for him that he had somebody he could call. I was actually not there for very long. Um, this Broadway contractor called me to go on the road for, uh, for a Broadway tour a show called Fosse. And uh, it paid a lot of money. Um, and the, that, the dollar signs kind of like, like, oh, this could be cool. I could, you know, have a little bit more security, and then move back to New York. But it was—he told me it was a year contract, and uh, I was like, "Oh man, do I do this or not?" I ultimately decided to do it. Yeah, um, and I stayed on for longer than than that. Uh, stayed on for to that for that show for close to two years, and um, it was good and bad. And it was amazing because uh, I met or kind of remet some some musicians uh, like like Alan Ferber, my, my good friend. Um, he and I grew up in California. We went to that summer music Monterey festival together and, um, he came on to that tour. So it was the two of us on trombone and, uh, some other really great uh, musicians, John Shadoba, um, uh, was on that tour lead trumpet player. Um, so actually Alan and I had a bass player named Yoshi Waki would go, uh, during, um, the breaks between the matinee and the evening performances, we would go backstage and have these little jam sessions, uh, which was awesome. So I kind of get to get to keep practicing and keep my creativity up, and uh, and we would find whatever town we were in, we would find the local like jazz hang and just go try to sit in. And um, so that part was cool. And then the like the monotony of playing the same show every every day that was the, the that was the downside of that. Um, it was like kind of the trombone aspect of that becomes a little bit like factory work where you're like, okay, I know this show. I'm like reading a book as I'm playing. Um, playing a, a show for eight nights a week, or, or yeah, funny, uh, eight shows a week um, for, for weeks on end without break. You tend to get a little bit slap happy sometimes. Sure. And, and so um, this was a... a have been I think it was like a Sunday matinee right so we're almost to the finish line we're almost gonna have a, a Monday off and um, we had uh, a, an associate conductor it wasn't the, like the regular conductor so it's like when the you know when the sub is visiting you know in in, in school of a little bit naughty <laughs> um, but it happened was so Alan uh, dropped a dropped a mute and for for whatever reason like that was the thing the thing that set us all off like it was but it, it wasn't anything just a drop it was like a drop and then it like just kept spinning and spinning and making this noise in a really like really quiet section um delicate section when no nobody's playing in the brass section but then like the next song the next number is this like really big big band brass heavy thing where you know like we're 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 on and, uh, but at that point, nobody in the brass section could play because we were laughing so loud. They were laughing so hard. And, uh, and so I just rem- remember that, um, you know, just that not being able to play a note on my instrument and thinking all the while, like, wow, nobody is, there was one trumpet player. The second trumpet player was like able to, like, just, do it but there was that was it right in the whole brass section like that that was the one sound it sounded terrible right like, we're like you're supposed to be like professionals here and we just can't we cannot make any noise on our instrument and in fossey uh at the end of the show a few of us go up on stage put on a costume and uh i play sing 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 with these solos and stuff and i wasn't sure even at that point uh if i was going to be able to play my solo and and like make it so i, I remember like i took a cold shower in the in the time that I had to change just to like cool myself down. And I made it. I played my I played my solo and it was it was okay. But yeah. That's a good story. Thank
0: you. You legitimately took a cold shower in between I I legitimately did. Like I didn't
1: know what else to do. I was like, man, I can't fold on this solo. Like there's a whole like dance number centered around the trombone solo and uh, I just imagine just like not doing it. Uh, but uh, but ultimately it was it was a really cool experience. Um, it made coming back to New York two years later a little bit challenging um, because I knew how to play Fosse really well. Right. And uh, I had maybe fallen off of the wagon of like a really good practice regimen. So I had to figure out how to, t- to kind of do that again. Like, okay, how do I become a well-rounded Trombonist again, so that that took a minute, but um, but yeah, but when I moved back to New York, I moved back to Brooklyn and um, I did have this kind of this uh, Security blanket of, of some of my savings from that from that tour so I got to kind of like live the, the high life in, in Brooklyn and just Do all the gigs like say yes to everything whether it paid five dollars or if it paid a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars um and just hang like that's where um marshall jokes and alan ferber and i and a couple other folks would get together and normally in allen's house uh sometimes in Al- in uh, marshall's uh, house apartment to to play trombone quartets so we would read really things like we would read the bota quartet uh, together and, and who like, was the fourth yeah actually, it was kind of a uh it was a, it was rolling uh, julie kaloo was often there as bass mm-hmm. trombonist Uh, Mike Fawn, an amazing trombone player. Uh, He's well-known as a a valve trombone player. He lived above uh, Alan, he and his wife Maryam McSweeney, a great bass player, uh, were there. So often, if uh, if Mike Fonver was playing, he would he would come come
0: down the stairs and, and knock on the door and start playing with us. You started getting Broadway gigs at that point, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, you know, I had met uh, Mike Davis and Jim Pugh uh, through kind of the Eastman connection, and um, they uh, offered me some subs, um, you know, and and that that sort of thing is as you know starts building on itself, kind of. one gig it leads to another another yeah the broadway experience
0: yeah yes um so when did phase three begin the teaching aspect of your life yeah well you're familiar with that uh only only four years of it (laughs) right well it was close
1: to that for me too uh, well, you know, it actually started when I joined the Atlantic Brass, the this brass quintet that I'm that I'm have been a member of since two thousand seven. I was living in New York and um actually I think John Rojak uh had recommended me. They they were looking for a new trombone player. And so I actually went out and auditioned for them. I, I tell people it's uh I've basically done two auditions in my professional life, one for Atlantic and then one for for Lawrence and um so, yeah, so I, I went out and played with them and had a blast. And so I joined them. And they are all all four of those other uh, guys are just amazing, inspirational teachers. And that's a big part of the group. We put on um, a seminar of Brass Chamber Music every summer. Now it's happening at Lawrence, which is awesome. And so I just got to see them. And learned from them in their in their teaching. and and I become I became really passionate about that then. And um, in New York, people were asking me for for lessons, and so I, I began to do that there too. Um, but yeah, so then the opportunity to to come to uh, SUNY Purchase uh, you know opened itself, and I was asked to be there as part of actually a brass uh, uh, quintet, too, with uh, Graham Ashton on trumpet. So initially when I came to, to purchase, it was just really to be part of this brass quintet and to do this seminar. Were you there when we did the
0: seminar? You were, right? Uh, with the quintet or with? Yeah, where we would play
1: for you and you would
0: play for us, yeah. Yeah, it had slowed yeah. down by the time I got there, but you're still doing it. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so that was cool, but that was all I did. And then um, eventually I, I began to get uh, some students. You were my first student, I believe.
0: Um... I'm, I got the fact checkers oh. on it. I believe Claude was the first. Oh, Claude Free, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so Claude. <laughs> sorry, Claude.
1: Uh, right, but you were you know you were one of the, my my first students, and uh, so that was awesome getting to work with you and, and Claude and, and Tom McHugh and um, oh and Rich Liverano like all these these folks like you guys were just so uh, great and so inspiring to me. Um, it was super fun to work with you. I still remember you did like the. Um, the Schumann fantasy stuck, right? And I was like, whoa, man, this guy can play. And that, like, that's the sort of stuff that, that you wanted to do. And man, that was, that was just a dream. So um, yeah, so I just, I kind of fell in love with teaching through kind of through Atlantic and, and through being involved in, in purchase.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. I, I had no idea that we were your first students until this moment.
1: My first like full-time, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, I was I was ready to quit trombone and then you were like, Well, maybe just practice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And
1: practice the stuff that, that you that you really loved, right? You brought me these things and I'm like, Oh man, you need to do that, right? You brought in the um uh what was it, the Bach um fugue in in G minor, right? The Toccata fugue, right?
0: Yeah. Oh sure, back then, yeah. Where you
1: played all the parts—that was, was the first. That was the first time I had seen you do that thing, which now you do, you know, on, on YouTube all the yeah. time. And um, and I was like, whoa, this is this is—you need to be doing this.
0: Not not all teachers felt that way, um, so it was helpful to hear somebody saying. I mean, even when I started doing the looping, which was later, uh, you were like, okay, bring it in you know like cool let's hear it and i i tell people about that moment a lot because i brought it in i was super excited about it and i played you a couple of things and you're like okay well why don't you work on the intonation here and like the tone here and all the stuff and like we weren't working on looping you know we're doing the same stuff that i would be doing playing a you know a bordoni but it's now i want to do it and so like Yeah.
1: yeah Amazing. Yeah. Now, not um, every student is like that too. Like some some mm-hmm. students are, you know, they need like, okay, you're gonna play the Bordoni and the Kobrash and all these things, and, and that's cool. But somebody like you that comes in and is so, you know, driven, but you know, like, has an idea of what you want to play. It's like, man, that's kind of can't ask for more.
0: How long were you at Purchase? Like six years, I think. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing uh, alongside that? I mean, you were playing a bunch of shows, do you remember some of those? Uh,
1: My favorites were uh, On the Town, that was one of the last shows I did, uh, Bernstein show that was Revival. That was like my favorite Broadway experience. Um, It was like 30 piece orchestra and the orchestra was featured. We were in a pit, but it was a really open and raised pit. So the audience saw us and we saw them and we could see the stage. And um, I had never had a, a Broadway, like a musical experience Like that where I could see what was I was like part of the show normally uh, in Broadway, especially You're 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 in a pit or maybe sometimes a separate room and uh, if you are in a pit It's like this much of the audience that you can see like that's the separation between like the stage and and the audience is here and uh, You kind of like caged animals in a way, but I always tell people, you know Broadway um the the thing that I loved was getting to play with amazing musicians you know who who just played at a really high level that was awesome but uh not being able to be like part of the of the of the show was 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 kind of terrible and so uh, on the town was not like that at all um you know the um the music was really really featured in in the show um and so that was cool. Uh, I also did uh, West Side Story, apparently like I'm a Bernstein aficionado now or a Bernstein <laughs> expert on Broadway. Um, I did a spam lot. It was cool. I, um, I miss The Hang. I'm yeah. uh, not doing that now. I, that was amazing. And like I said, I miss playing you know, um, at a high level um, every night. Um, I get to play on a high level here now where I'm, where I'm teaching but uh, but it's not. I don't do it on a on a daily or nightly basis. But mm-hmm. I will take the family life uh, mm-hmm. and the commute over over those those other things.
0: I can imagine. Uh, so uh, where did you meet your wife? We met in Brooklyn. Uh, Corey and
1: I met through mutual friends uh, the, through Eastman connection. She also was at Eastman, but uh, a little bit later than I was there. So um, Fred Sturms. Uh, daughter Maddie Sturm introduced us. They were they were roommates. And, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean the rest is history. We've got our two little boys and and um and she, like we we yeah. I, I can't imagine my life without her. It's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's what phase three or four at that point it was like, okay, yeah. there there are things that are more important. Yeah. Um now you're at Lawrence University, how did that happen?
1: Corey and I had thought um wouldn't it be cool if I were offered a, a teaching position somewhere or something came up where I could, where we could, um, see each other more because when I was at, when I was at purchase and, um, and gigging in New York, I was either on the road or I was doing Broadway or I was, uh, teaching at purchase. I mean, there were most days I would leave the house at six and then get home at one. You know, like six a.m. and then and then one a.m. and um, and on the days that I had free, I normally had a show that night too. And um, so yeah, we just were not seeing each other. And then um, out of the blue, I got this email from the um, the head of the brass department here, John Daniel, saying, "Hey, do you know any? You have any students or anybody that uh, would you would recommend for this for this job at Lawrence?" And I thought, oh Lawrence because I knew Fred Sturm uh, taught out here and I, the school had a reputation for me uh, because of that I, I had also been out to visit Lawrence um, as a as a guest artist um, and, and um, with Maria Schneider's band I was subbing with her when we when we did a tour that went to Lawrence and I knew it was a really cool school and I knew it was close to Corey's family because uh, she's from Wisconsin and Her family's kinda Milwaukee, Madison area. So I thought, man, maybe maybe I'll throw my hat into the ring. Probably won't happen, but wouldn't doesn't hurt to try. And they didn't need a a a a master's or a doctorate. I made it to the final round of of visiting and and meeting the students and working with them and playing a little recital. And through the process of doing the that interview those interviews and audition and um, putting my resume together and uh, talking about my philosophy of teaching and all of these things that they ask, um, I I came to know that I really wanted the gig. Uh, before that, you know, when it first started, I thought, well, ah, we'll just try it out and see, you know, it doesn't hurt to, to kind of try this. And that process of kind of soul searching and, and answering the, the questions that they were asking, uh, I thought, yeah, I, I remember telling Corey at one point as I was staying up late at night writing an essay about my, my teaching philosophy, I thought, you know what? I, I really, I really want this one now, yeah um, so yeah, so so then uh, so then we moved, and it's it's been awesome.
0: What are some of the things that happen in lessons that you uh, make you disappointed?
1: <laughs> what makes me disappointed wow that's a, that's an a interesting question um it, when when I can tell that a student hasn't hasn't tried you know or has, hasn't put in the effort, uh, man, I remember that happened happening with Doc, right? I would try, I would try to like, come in and kind of sight-read an etude that he had assigned mm-hmm. tell right away, right? I kind of thought that maybe I'd be able to get, get it past him. And maybe he didn't even say anything, but now as a, as a teacher, you know, I, I will say something right away of like, you didn't practice that, right? And they're like, yeah, I didn't get practice to Like, well, okay. yeah let's just work on on that right and everybody had they're pulled in so many different ways and i i totally get that but um that's probably the biggest thing that i could say like disappointment maybe is is not the
0: the perfect word for it but i'm not mad i'm just disappointed (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's unrealized potential right because you see you see the student and you know that like if you just put in the effort just a little bit more than you're doing like you would see the results and that's, right. that's why you're frustrated. It's like, that's right.
1: Yeah. But I try to move from the frustration to encouragement. Like, okay, why, why is it that you didn't practice this? You know, and sometimes it's laziness and so you have to address, address that. But sometimes it's something else. Like they don't think that they have it with in themselves to do that, which I know that they do, you know, right. like I, I assign this for a reason. And let's let's figure out why you haven't practiced it. And and so for some of them, it's just like I'm scared. And so we, yeah. we talk about that.
0: Yeah, that's uh. I don't know if you know this about yourself. Maybe you do. But that's um, that's that's why you're a great teacher. And that's um something that great a lot teachers. of people I've worked with do not have. Like they'll they'll be good technicians of music or the trombone, which you are. But their problem solving ends there. And so. Yeah if you didn't do the work, they're like, well, okay, we'll go do it. And then we could work on it. Right. Uh, they're not there to get that mental aspect honed in. What is an album or song or record that you're listening to now that you're super stoked about?
1: Oh man. So, uh, we recently got a record player. Um, there's something about having the music at our fingertips that makes it less precious. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and anyway, I thought, I don't think, we listen as carefully sometimes uh, because Absolutely. you can just—it's so, you know, so ubiquitous. Um, so I bought a record player and these powered speakers, and it sounds awesome. And uh, so for uh, for Christmas, I asked for the Wayne Shorter the new Wayne Shorter record, which is this—it's um, amazing. It's a that's a three record set, and it has a, a graphic novel actually that that Wayne wrote with his wife. Um, and it's called Eminem, and it's it's awesome. So it's Wayne uh, and his quartet with uh, with the Orpheus Chamber Ensemble, which is really cool because I'm hearing a lot of my friends uh-huh. in, the, in the orchestra with Wayne. So that's that's the big one. Um, and Kenny Garrett, I've actually been kind of introduced to Kenny Garrett for the first time for my my students. He was like kind of a hole in my in my jazz knowledge. And so my, uh, I coach a jazz small group and they're like, we want to play Kenny Garrett. So I'm checking out um, all these great like November 15 and Wayne's thing and um, sing a song, a song, and all these great Kenny Garrett uh, tunes through through my, through my students. And I love it. The music's super fun, like really,
0: really happy music. That's awesome. That, yeah. that reminds me of a question, which is, is there anything that you can think of through any of your students over the years that you started working on and you were like and and you had to like figure it out and so you actually learned the thing because your student was working on it and like you would have never done that but you're like so grateful that you did
1: oh right well uh rich liverano uh learned uh uh the barrio sequenza i had i mean that's that's a challenging piece i don't i don't know it but i but we kind of, I told him, I, was like, I don't know this piece, let's work on it together. And um, so that was really fun to, um, there's a lot of multiphonics in that piece and, and really challenging multiphonics where sometimes you sing above the note, sometimes you sing below, and sometimes you're doing kind of a gliss with your voice that goes from above down below. and. Then- Really challenging stuff to do, um, and so yeah. So that was awesome. There are a lot of times like that where um, I mean, I encourage my students, as you know, to like just bring in whatever that inspires them. So there's a lot of times, I'll I'll just be straight up like, I don't, I am not the expert on this, but uh, but I'm here to help you learn how to learn it.
0: Do you have a current project you're excited about? You're busy and you have a family. I don't know if that's a good question for you.
1: No, that's okay. Um, yeah, so I'm involved in this um, amazing. Uh, summer festival is brand well it's it's in its second year it's called mostly modern festival and it's um, it's an orchestra festival kind of loosely modeled off of the Aspen model where the faculty play principals, and there's a festival orchestra um, but we're playing um, music by living composers or music like modern masterworks um, so we're doing a, a this year we're doing a, a Takamitsu piece and, and um, um, John Adams Harmonieleier and uh, like all all these amazing pieces. But there are also um, composers, student composers that come in too and write brand new music for Atlantic Brass. For example, we'll, we'll get written a lot of uh, pieces. Um, and we'll premiere those and get to workshop those with the composers. So I love that. I love getting to work with composers, it um, kind of in real time, and um, they challenge us, and we can challenge them. So that's a good project. And then um, that my my brass quintet Atlantic does this seminar as well. That's also too late to apply for, but it's amazing. Um, and I mentioned that before. We're doing it at Lawrence, and it's, it's two weeks, uh, at the end of July. And and again, I just get super inspired by. Uh, the the students that we work with, and we challenge
0: ourselves with uh, a lot of challenging music, and um, that's that's awesome too. When do when do applications open up for both of those?
1: Usually those those sorts of things. I don't remember the exact date, but it, but I think yeah, I think they open up in the fall, and they normally
0: close March one or, or March fifteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's for mostly modern and ABQ. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I thought of another project. Okay, let's hear it. Um, the Daphnis Prieto
1: Big Band did an album last year called Back to the Sunset. Daphnis is uh, an amazing drummer, Cuban-American drummer, um, that I met through Steve Coleman, actually, he was drumming with, them, uh, with him at the time. And, um, anyway, it made this this record, this big band record that's super awesome, and it won a Grammy. It won the Grammy wow. for, um, the, uh, Best Latin Jazz Album of 2018. So, we're going to play at, um... At the Newport Jazz Festival this summer, and a couple other tours coming up, but yeah, that's that's super fun.
0: Are you a Grammy winning trombonist?
1: <sighs> you have to be careful with the wording. on the not you?
0: I'm on a Grammy winning album. I don't, I, know, maybe. I don't have to be careful with it, you have to be careful. <laughs> I'm putting it everywhere. Taught by right. Grammy winning trombonist. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? favorite gig you've ever done that was like a one-off or something and playing with jay-z
1: and carnegie hall was pretty cool yeah it, yeah I, it's such a different world right i remember uh like his answer ont- like he and his entourage came to the rehearsal studio and it was just like wow this was like a level of celebrity that i've never seen before and never will and um I just remember Carnegie, I've never seen Carnegie Hall like that either, it was his band and then an orchestra. Dave Taylor and I were playing trombone and um, Dave sounded amazing on that on that concert. Um, and you know, just playing this, this just amazing music that's so different than what I normally do and the, the crowd is way different than a crowd that I normally play for, right? That's very like right. normally buttoned up. And and, um, and a different crowd than normally is in Carnegie Hall, and it was just like a, a just a giant party. And every I remember being really afraid actually, because uh, Jay Z went out for w- one of the last tunes. He went into the audience. He went up into the one of the balconies and was uh, you know was was singing and, and rapping um, in the balcony, and people were looking over the. They were in the like. If he was on the second balcony, they were looking over it from the third balcony to try to, to see him. I thought, man, people are gonna fall uh, like they're gonna Fall off of this balcony and, and die. Yeah. And then, but uh, but yeah, that was that was amazing. And, uh, and I also remember thinking it really funny that uh, the Carnegie Hall smelled like pot mm-hmm. right during that concert. That was something that I, that I didn't think I would ever experience either. But yeah, so that was that was a pretty fun one.
0: This summer you will be playing at the International Trombone Festival. Uh, tell us anything you know about that. <laughs> well,
1: okay, so uh, Chris Van Hoff put together a group of Eastman alumni and. I believe we're doing a J.J. Johnson tribute um, featuring some soloists from Eastman and an all Eastman alumni-backed ensemble. Yeah, come on out and check us out at uh, Muncie, Indiana at ITF.
0: Thanks so much for watching. I, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, this was really fun for us to put together. Trombonists usually don't get in-depth interviews like this, uh, and so we hope to do more with other featured musicians uh, for the upcoming trombone festival. Uh, comment with what you thought and what you want to see. Uh, and really make sure you have uh, your uh, calendar marked July 10th through the 13th and you're looking into flights and hotels right now. Uh, You don't want to miss it. Uh, And yeah, I hope to see many of you there uh, this summer at the International Trombone Festival.